Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? If you make yourself more than just a man, the figure in the dark was my destiny. If you devote yourself to an ideal, I've got to strike fear in them from the start. Then you become something else entirely. There are things about me that you wouldn't understand. What are you? I'm Batman. Welcome to Batmouth, a special presentation of the Dork Knights dedicated to the many incarnations of one of the greatest superheroes of all time. As part of this dynamic duo, I am your host, MB, and joining me is the Dick to my Barbara, the Nora to my Mr. Freeze, and the Harley to my Ivy, Birdman. Hello, Dork Knight. We meet again. The sound that you were hearing was... I'm going to take a guess and say that it was you putting your fist in your hand like Bird Ward. Well, it involves fist doing something. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. And already we're off to a great start. Yes, we are. But yeah, this was actually something that we had planned way in advance to do for a very long time. It originally started, um, what, a couple months ago. It originally started as just one episode of Dork Nights. We realized the month of July was creeping up on us. And, of course, the month of July, this is the year 2012 for any future listening. Please, God, save us before the prison is assassinated. You have the power. Hopefully the Mayans weren't right. Fuck you, Snake God. (laughs) Exactly. We'll send Batman on you. (laughs) But, yeah, this is the month of July, and we realized that this is the first year that we're doing Dork Nights, and we haven't really done an all-out Batman episode. We had planned to do an episode, and then that got scrapped because we realized, well, you know, it's the month of July. We have nothing better to do, really. And, you know, there, there's not just one real incarnation of Batman that we want to discuss because he is a character that is near and dear to us. He means something personal to both of us, I think. It's safe to say. Or maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just the obsessed one. You know, I, I often equate Batman as, like, that cool older uncle you had that was not a child molester, despite all the claims to the contrary. Exactly. So we decided, you know, why not make a whole month of Batman? You know, discuss the many incarnations that have come through, you know, from the 1943 serials that few people have seen, but I actually managed to get a DVD a couple years ago of it. And, you know, there's also the 60s series with Adam West, which... If that series didn't exist, Batman wouldn't have been as popular as he is to this day. Oh yeah, I'd agree. I think maybe we'll talk about this as we do another episode, but I think two of the biggest contributions to Batman being as popular was the Adam West TV series and the Christopher Reeve Superman films. But like I said, I'll maybe go in more depth with that uh, in a later episode. Yeah, it is interesting that you mentioned that because one of the incarnations that we're going to discuss is also the Tim Burton films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman and Batman Returns. Of course, we've got we can't do this podcast without mentioning Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. The infamously, Wait, there's a movie called Batman and Robin. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't remember this. When did this well, come out? Well, you'll you'll be acquainted soon enough. Don't worry. I choose to forget. Pleased to meet you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Starting again, the flashbacks. I mean, 
I guess we, we should count ourselves lucky because we don't have to do Catwoman. Oh, thank God. But we've decided, you know, as part of the lead up to The Dark Knight Rises, you know, the third and final piece of Christopher Nolan's trilogy, and oddly enough, the only trilogy of Batman films ever made. Mm-hmm. Because you don't really, I mean, the four films prior to the, you know, reboot, were they were vaguely connected, but just the tone, shift in tone was so different that, yeah, it's hard to consider those films as being a whole whole thing really yeah it is it is kind of a thing that we'll probably get into later that Mm -hmm. you know batman forever had the line and then there are vague connections here and there but yeah you're right i don't know uh what we should start with first maybe we should go back to the beginning because you and i that's what that's what i was thinking kind of go chronologically so let's go back to the beginning you and i grew up in the early 90s Mm -hmm. what year were you born how dare you, sir? <laughs> a lady never tells. You never ask a lady her age. But, uh, no, I was born in 1988. Is that so? Yes. Um, you lied to me about your age. You said you were years younger. Shh. I have to do what I have to do to survive, all right? You know, so it's you, hard out there. Yeah, you were born a year before the Batman movie came out. Yeah, Um. when did... I can't remember when was the exact release date. I know you're going to know for you, Batman. I believe it was June fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine. So, um, eleven months prior to that film's release, I was born, July yeah. of nineteen eighty eight. Now, do you have any memories of Batmania? Because that's that's kind of like a thing that had a resurgence in nineteen eighty nine. Like there was, there's Batmania in the sixties when everyone mm-hmm. was obsessed with the Adam West show. Like he would, yeah, he would make appearances in costume, him and Burt Ward. But Batmania also came out in. 1989 because you wouldn't be able to go anywhere without seeing a bat logo or a bat symbol or some sort of piece of memorabilia. Yeah. Like I've seen um, I have footage of people like dressing up as Jack Nicholson and all that. No, I have no memories of that. Actually, maybe I'll wait till later, but you know, my earliest memory involving Batman was actually watching the, um, the movie on, on VHS. So that had to be probably around 1990 for it to be on VHS. That actually, oddly enough, is my first introduction, too. My parents had ordered the VHS off of, oddly enough, the Home Shopping Network. Uh, there was actually a time where VHSs weren't as easy to come by. And I guess yeah. and I guess they were offering like a special. And Batman was one of the specials, so he went ahead and got it, my father. And he introduced me to it at about, maybe even earlier than this, but the first that I remember seeing it was around two or three. Mm-hmm. Because, obviously the movie struck a connection with me, but I remember specifically being afraid of Jack Nicholson's Joker. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Um, that's what my first memory is. Uh, Batman related, actually, was uh, me had him behind the coffee table while Jack Nicholson electrocuted a man with a hand buzzer. <laughs> that was the start of everything that broke you. Yes. That made you the human being that you are. Started me on the right path, I like to think. <laughs> well, yeah, my earliest memory was I would constantly watch the movie, but I would only watch it up until they showed Jack Nicholson in the full makeup. Like, whenever he stepped out of the shadows during that business scene, I would just, I would always, I couldn't stand to watch it because it was well, so, I thought it was so creepy. Honestly, like I saw the like you know the last time I watched the movie, it did the same thing for me. You know, 
23 years later, like, oh, God, no, no. <laughs> you still hide behind the coffee table. I still hide behind that coffee table to this day. But, yeah, it's it's funny because ever since watching that movie, that's kind of what set me on the path to becoming a bigger fan. Well, mm-hmm. it isn't kind of the path. It is the path. Like, after that, I got introduced to the animated series, which was on at the mm-hmm. same time. I think the animated series was important for making me stay a Batman fan. Not just, well, I'd say the animated series as well as uh, the movies because I, I kind of equate, like, Something I was a big fan growing up uh, that age, as well as Batman, was Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. And my interest in Ninja Turtles waned over the years because honestly, there wasn't much interest in them. Yeah. But with Batman, you had the animated series, you had the movies, you had you know a continuation of the animated series through the Justice League and Batman Beyond and all that, and that kept me interested in them. Also, as well as comics. Yeah. Also, as a kid, you had all the products, like you had the toys. Well, I had Ninja Turtle toys as well. Yeah, but well, I'm, I'm just saying, like, that's also a big reason why a kid yeah. would probably follow along with that, because you get to collect the toys and stuff. Yeah, I can't tell you how many Batman action figures I had that I bit off the point of years. <laughs> I had a couple of those as well. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, as far back as what some of my other introductions to it was. Like, I remember the animated series, but the thing is, I never got how dark and mature it was until years later. Like, yeah, me for me, For me, it was mostly a visual thing. Like, you would in that show, you would always have Batman in, like, in shadows, and everything was draped in a very unique way. Yeah. Gotham um, City was almost like the 20s. To kind of give you an idea of maybe, like, how my thoughts were at the time, when I first watched it when I was little... One of my favorite episodes was uh, I've got Batman in my basement. <laughs> and one of the reasons I like it is, oh man, look at that kid. You know, he's fighting the penguin. He's helping Batman. He's teaming up with Batman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, years later when I'll come back and say, like, God, that episode, <laughs> that did not hold up. <laughs> yeah. That was an episode that you kind of had to be a kid to like, I guess, if that's maybe a fair statement. Yeah, there's actually another episode that I kind of have a similar thing with is uh, one of the early Joker episodes, The Last Laugh. Mm-hmm. And as a story itself, it's actually not that bad because it's basically, I mean, in the loosest terms, it's Joker trying to poison Gotham and take control of the chaos, which is what he does, you know. Mm-hmm. That's but, what he does, I mean, you know. But the thing is, is that there are tons of puns and the dialogue is really kind of almost campy. There's there's animation flubs here and there, like Batman almost like looks rubbery in some scenes. That was a body double. <laughs> that was a body. He had plans so far in the head that he had like a blow up doll. Well, he had a prior commitment, you know. The Riddler was bombing Yugoslavia. He's like, he the animated series. He was like Wolverine. He was everywhere at once. <laughs> exactly. But uh. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just sort of a combination of a lot of things. Like, of course, it started with the Tim Burton movie, but it also came out of the animated series, the action figures. I remember having a lot of shirts. I remember wanting to have a costume for many years, and I don't think I got my first Batsuit, like Batman costume, until I was about seven. Mm -hmm. And I don't have one now, just in case anyone is wondering. I will acquire one. I will. It must be done. One day... What kind of outfit would you get? Would you get a uh, uh, Batman Begins, Dark Knight outfit, or would you go 
Keaton. You know, what's odd is that I've actually contemplated Adam West. So that would require me to wear tights. And I don't really want to subject anyone to seeing me in tights. So. Well, maybe work out a little bit. You could do it. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's table that conversation for ever. Let's let's never bring that up again. But uh, yeah, I mean, what do you think for you was sort of the genesis of you becoming a fan? Like, how early did you get into the comics? I want to say I was about seven or eight when I first got into comics. Not full time, mind you, but like I got a few Batman Adventures comics, the comic books they made based on the animated show. Mm-hmm. And I had one. It was like Robin and Batgirl and Batman and Nightwing. They were I want to say they were fighting Scarecrow. And I remember the cover because it had a, uh, it looked like it had a, the cover was like a fake, uh, toy display of like the Grey Ghost action figure. I remember that, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that series actually had a, like a lot of, uh, clever covers. Like there was one where it's a guy, like a villain with tattoos all over his arms, and one tattoo on one arm is Batman's head, and then the other is yeah. Robin's. Yeah, I remember that one. And, uh, um, those two, and then I had another one that was um, from the Nightwing series that uh, I want to say Chuck Dixon was still writing at this point. It was about uh, Deathstroke had attacked Batgirl, hmm. and she was in she was in uh, Bloodhaven for some reason, and uh, it was just a follow up of after he attacked, like she was in the hospital. And those are like three of the earliest comics I remember having. That one, those three, and the Spider-Man comic book. That's it's interesting you say that because you kind of. You kind of started off good with, like, the Nightwing series. Like, I didn't even... There was a lot about the Batman universe that I didn't know until I was, like, 10. Like, I didn't know... Well, I knew Nightwing, but the only thing I knew Nightwing from was, like, the new adventures of Batman. Yeah, I, I was I was too until, like, I got that comic book. Um, because, like, hey, who's this guy with, uh, with the mullet? You know? The long hair. Uh, the main reason why I like Nightwing is because I thought he could fly. I mean, because I, I think during the show, the way they designed, he had like little bitty, yeah, like, he had like wings under his under his armpits. Yeah, kind of like the Spider-Man webs. Yeah, that they used to draw. Um, and I thought that man he could flat out fly. I was like, yeah, finally, Batman. Because that's what I always said. Batman needs to fly. He's a <laughs> bat, but he can't fly. I mean, he's rich. He can strap on a jetpack and fly, or get rocket <laughs> boots and fly, but he doesn't fly. And then <laughs> finally, your dream was realized in the Nolan movies. Yes, finally, that's the only reason I'm going to see Dark Knight Rises, because he finally flies. <laughs> he came to superpower. But, uh, finally. yeah, yeah, I would I would say you started off pretty strong with the Nightwing series, because, you know, Chuck Dixon's run is pretty acclaimed. Yeah. I read that issue, and then I didn't read anything else from Nightwing again until 2006. Um, I picked up the, the trade, uh, A Night in Bloodhaven, the first story arc of the Nightwing, that, that comic book. I can't remember what issue exactly it was that I picked up. Um, I think I might still have it somewhere. I'd have to look. I eventually got caught up on Nightwing. Because when I read that issue again, I was like, whoa, I'm having deja vu. <laughs> I've been here before. Then you wonder what else you've done that you, you've forgotten about. Yeah, I've got tattoos on my arm. Don't let him be suck your cock. <laughs> exactly. It's only memento for you. Yeah. But yeah, I for me, it was actually... The first comic book I ever picked up was when I was six years old. I remember in a town over, I had just discovered that a comic book shop was there and had been there for a while. I never knew it until that point, and I asked my aunt if she would take me to go and stop by there so I could see what it was all about. Because 
you know, it was a fairly new concept of a comic book store. Like, I never knew yeah. there were, like, for me, it was more like a superhero shop. I never knew it was, like, all kinds of comic books. Well, but, you're still kind of like that in a lot of ways. Yeah. But uh, I, I remember walking in, and, you know, I was six, and there was a lot I wanted to pick up, you know. I, not only a Batman fan, but I was also Spider-Man, Superman, you know, all sorts of superheroes. But what caught my eye immediately was a cover that was so outrageous that I had to pick up the book, and I eventually mm-hmm. did. And unfortunately, I don't still have the comic book, but um, it was an issue of Batman where he is having an auction in public and selling off his gadgets, his costumes, his Batmobile, like everything associated with Batman. And it's Batman literally standing there with Robin. Robin and Alfred are off to the side with tears in their eyes as Batman sells off everything. And he proclaims that everything must go because I'm giving my career in crime fighting up. That's sort of the bat dickery. It's a nice uh, accompaniment to the Superman dickery comic books. (laughs) The little known bat dickery. Yeah. Where Superman would, you know, make sexist comments and tell Lois she needs to get back in the kitchen. Yeah. Force Jimmy Olsen to marry a gorilla. (laughs) Batman would mess with Robin and Alfred. Do you remember exactly what went on inside that comic book? Because sometimes those covers can be a bit misleading, you know. Oh, there was an actual auction. He did literally sell all of his Batman stuff. But it was a scheme in order to catch a criminal. That's Uh the thing. So, you know, it would be interesting to go back and read that comic book. Because I don't know if he ever got his stuff back. Like, did he just buy new stuff or... Well, what was it? Bruce Wayne. Of course he bought new stuff. Yeah, but it's like, you you sell those bat gadgets to the public, and it's like, you know, you never know, like, one of them could turn out to be evil. Yeah, well, it was the 50s, man. They didn't think about stuff like that. You know what? Scott Snyder needs to do a follow-up to that story, where, <laughs> where a supervillain got a bat gadget from that auction. That's what the Court of Owls was using to mess up Batman's life, all those gadgets. <laughs> from the 50s. I'm pretty sure, though, seriously, that Grant Morrison probably is like, he probably leaves the story. There's got to be a way I can do something with the story. And maybe he's got it on the back burner. That's what's going to be the big reveal of who Leviathan is in Batman Inc. <laughs> There's going to be a second reveal. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was done in that very campy style, like the Carmine Infantino type Batman and Robin. Like, it was pretty much the 60s series by that point. Speaking of that, when. Did you get into the 60s series? Now, this is an interesting story. Because, as I said, um, my first introduction was the Burton film. And then the animated series got me in further. But the 60s series was the third part of the equation. I didn't catch a rerun of the 60s series or anything, but there was this video, like this VHS, that I saw in a Best Buy that had them on the cover like, it had them and the serials and pretty much everything leading up into the 1989 film done up as a documentary. And what got me about it was, you know how Robin was in the animated series? Yeah. Something that had always fascinated me as a kid was the fact that when Batman was done in the comics in the animated series, his eyes were that white lens type thing. Yeah, they were opaque, or whatever you call it. Yeah, they were... You know, they, they glue in the darkness and all that, and yeah. obviously that wouldn't work as well in live action, but what fascinated me was how 
back when I didn't know like that that can be done in like live action. I thought, you know, why does why does why can you see Michael Keaton's eyes in the bat cowl? And what struck me about it was that it was the first time I had ever seen a Robin in live action that, you know, had the eyes in the mask and stuff. And that was really what kind of drew me to that video. And yeah. he has eyes. God almighty. <laughs> exactly. He has eyes. <laughs> I was drawn to it like the moth to the flame almost. But um, what's what's weird is that that video inadvertently actually exposed me to a lot more of the comic book universe because they also talked about like the Captain America serials uh-huh. and like the Captain Marvel serials. That was the first time I ever saw Captain Marvel, and you know that pretty much first showed me like footage of the serials and then also the '60s series, which they went into complete depth about because that was such a big thing. You know, they talked about all the guest stars and all that. But from there, you know, I was always interested to watch a rerun. And whenever TV Land started doing Batman reruns, like, that was a big thing. Like, so much so that in the early days of the screensaver, they actually had a uh, TV Land Batman 60s series screensaver, which was basically the opening. So I had that, and I watched the reruns. And from there, my fandom pretty much just grew. So what about you? Like, what was your first... My first experience, I think, I don't remember, like, the first time I watched the series. But I remember one time, this had to be early 90s. I had to be at least, I was at least, I was at least four. I, can, I couldn't be no older than five because I remember where we lived at the time. We moved when I was almost five. So, it had to be around four when this happened. But I remember on this TV station, they were showing... I want to say it was FX. It was the station that would later become FX, like Fox Movie Channel or whatever it's called. They were showing Batman, the animated—I mean, not the animated series, but they were showing the movie like at seven o'clock in that night. So, so oh. the uh, the sixties uh, movie, you mean? Yeah, the yeah the sixties movie. You know, where Batman and Robin fight, Joker, Penguin, Catwoman, and Riddler. The, yeah, they have and, to save Commodore Schmidt Lab. Yeah, and they save Commodore Schmidt Lab with their. Bat shark repellent spray. It's glorious. <laughs> glorious. We'll get into deeper depth about yeah. that in another episode. Um, but I wanted to see it. I was like, oh, man, I want, oh, yeah, I want to see it. And um, my parents were like, no, we got to go. Oh, come on. Can I? Yeah, I've always wanted to watch it. Yeah. I mean, I say that. I said, I always want to watch it. You're four. You didn't even know this movie existed till 12 hours ago. <laughs> um, so, all right, well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll rig up the VCR to tape it. And, you know, they set it up, uh, put the tape in. Like, All right, let's go. So we went wherever it was we were going. I don't know where we were going. But the whole time we were there, I, I remember, you know, oh, I can't wait to get back, watch Batman. I was doing the you know, pow, pow, bang, zip, bow stuff. <laughs> and so we got back to the house, only for me to find out that the tape didn't record. <laughs> I was crushed. Oh. I was, I compare it to Bruce Wayne having his parents ride from I fell to my knees you with wanted, the tape you wanted, in my hand. You wanted your parents shot by a mugger. I was hoping that Jack Napier would show up. Jack, I say Jack Napier because at the time, I fully thought Jack Napier, you know, in the comics, he killed, you know, the Waynes. But, um, oh, yeah, I, I thought that too. But, yeah, I was on my knees with the tape, cradling the tape in my hand. 
you know, it was dark all around with single spotlight showing on me. There was blood everywhere take. for some there reason. There was blood. Pearls scattered on the floor as well. I don't know where the <laughs> pearls came from. You made a vow that day to war on faulty VCRs. Yes. Which is why I went out. I called myself Batman, but that's because I hit VCRs with the baseball bat. <laughs> also, you wore like a baseball bat themed costume. Yeah, I did. It was made of wood. But, um,. I want to say it was, you know, I finally started, I want to say it was probably when you were talking about when they were started showing them on TV land that I started watching the series good, <laughs> proper. And now I watch it, you know, it comes on, actually, it was kind of once a week, but like twice a week. There's this local station that they do a bunch of old TV shows, um, like The Honeymooners, Dick Van Dyke, stuff like that, and uh, they show Batman the anime and that i keep saying the anime series what's wrong with me um i guess freudian slip <laughs> yeah i'm in love with that bruce tim have my babies please <laughs> but now nah, they show the 60s batman series thursdays at like seven no thursdays at eight and saturdays at seven they show like they show them an hour-long blocks yeah like, because without, they were yeah. always they're, they're always in two parks yeah they're always cliffhangers with catchy rhymes at the end of course, which is what led to us doing it on the blog. But you know, every time I get a like get an urge to watch the '60s series, I always go to YouTube, and they always they always have for the most part they have all the individual episodes if you search for the titles. Yeah, there was a clip. It's one episode I don't ever remember seeing. I've been trying to catch it up, catch up on the series on the TV, but the cliffhanger was Batman getting married. <laughs> And I, I imagine that's how it's going to be if and when you ever get married. <laughs> I'm in Have, the suit. Do, do you remember that clip? I do. I do. I'm in the suit. You know, there's a super villainess there that I have to marry. You look at the camera. Isn't this a revolting development? <laughs> You're there as the priest. Holy prenuptials, Batman. <laughs> that's what I say, even though I'm the priest. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I, I assume that if I ever had a wedding, it would... Batman would probably be a factor, which is um, just, which is pretty sad because like it's almost like I'm marrying Batman more than I'm marrying a woman. Yeah, that's what that's what that's that's your that's what's the problem though. Every time you you try to go on a date with a woman, like first off, Batman. What are your thoughts on who? All right, we're done here. <laughs> bye bye. Well, I mean to be fair, it's like there's not much of an excuse at this point. No, I mean the the movies have made billions of dollars. Yeah, I mean. Gosh, like... If you don't know who Batman is, then just bye-bye. Now, what are your thoughts on, like, his status in pop culture? Like, do you think... Do you think he's the most popular superhero right now? Or do you think, you know, maybe he's up there with, like, another I think financially he's the most popular superhero. Well, I mean, just generally. Like, if you ask a person on the street. I don't know. That's tricky. I think... Superman and Spider-Man have a bigger, like, global appeal. Especially Superman. I think Superman has uh, just a global appeal. Like, people who, you know, outside of, you know, the comics. If they know who Superman is, Superman, you know, his name is synonymous with strength. Yeah. And, you know, being strong. And I think that's... I think maybe Superman has the edge in that regard. But I think, as far as, like... I'm trying to think of a good way... How I'm trying to phrase this. I think Batman is definitely one of the top three. I say him, Spider-Man, and Superman. I don't count Wolverine in that list because, you know what, Wolverine? Go to hell, all right? <laughs> you're, can, you're Canadian, so. 
dirty Canadian. But, but, but Superman's an alien, so I don't know what to do. Well, he's an alien, but he was raised in our soil. Yeah, so. we indoctrinated him. But uh, no, I would say it's probably Nick and I think, like I said, I think Batman is better, more financially stable, I think. I think you kind of bring up an interesting point because, like, you know, there are many incarnations of Batman, but I would say the most prosperous, like the most famous at this point, if it's not the 60s series, it's the dark and serious version. Yeah. And that doesn't really have an appeal with, you know, children because, you know, Batman Returns was accosted for being too dark. The Dark Knight, there were a couple of complaints. Yeah. Um, and you, to that I say, well, first of all, the movie's PG-13. What do you expect? Yeah. But secondly, it's like, yeah, he doesn't really have as widespread of an appeal to, like, children and stuff, even though, yeah, you know... that's... I mean, that's I, maybe what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, as far as a widespread appeal, I think, yeah, Superman and, like, Spider-Man, are, they got the edge. They're easier to market to children because they, they don't really have a dark no. uh, incarnation. Well, I would say not so much... Uh, Superman, but like Spider-Man, there have been dark storylines with him. Well, yeah, but it's like not nothing like that really in the movies, nah. and cartoons. Like not yet, anyway. Like I don't consider the comics to be a as much as I love the comics, and the comics are the defining medium as far as Batman and superheroes go in general. Yeah. I don't think comics are really a fair assessment of how oh, no. widely known. Like, cause oh no, I mean, like you look at like someone like Bane up until like two years ago. You ask someone, who's Bane? Who? What? What are you talking about? I mean, it's the same thing that applies. I mean, probably a lot of that still applies yeah, I mean, to I'm sure, Bane now. I'm sure the only people who know who Bane is besides comic book fans are people who remember that really, really dumb yes, version of Batman and Robin. That's my Bane right there. Monkey work. Bomb. Bomb. Bane. Oh, <laughs> uh, I... Uh, I remember just, oh, I think even, like, when I was seven and I saw that, I realized, like, wow, this is weird. <laughs> like, this isn't, huh. he isn't quite the Joker, is he? No, not necessarily. That's something that maybe you, you mentioned the Joker in, like, this. What, like, honestly, like, you mentioned Batman is one of the more popular heroes. And Joker is, I would probably say, maybe you'd agree with me, um, hands down the most popular villain. Hmm. As far as all the superhero, you know, all the supervillains, he's got to be the most popular villain. I would say so. Like, like because I no, can't really think of anyone else that would compete with him. Well, maybe Doctor Octopus. Like, because he's a, he's a fun villain. I think. Like, yeah, he's fun. But I'm talking about like in terms of like, like you mentioned, like widely known. Yeah, the Joker Bar Bar none is the most famous supervillain. I I don't really think Lex Luthor has a wide appeal. Like, of uh. course, everyone knows Superman is. Arch enemies of Lex Luthor, but it's it's like nobody really knows much about him. Yeah, the Joker yeah. just like you know him because of like Caesar Romero and Jack Nicholson. Those and, and Heath Ledger. Yeah, well now Heath Ledger definitely, but yeah. you have so many people that you can point out. Whereas with Lex Luthor, it's like people either know Gene Hackman. Absolutely, like, yeah, Gene Hackman is pretty much the only one because Kevin Spacey yeah. like. No one really, like, no one except, like, the hardcore people really paid attention to his Lex or... Um, nobody. do me a favor. Tell me Kevin Spacey is the definitive Lex Luthor. Kevin Spacey is the definitive Lex Wrong! Oh, God. You did not just do that. Yes, I did. I did. Oh. Oh, boy. 
And we're doing a Batman podcast too. I know. So I just even... wanted to throw that in right quick. It was something I was. Gonna... Oh, getting back to the Joker. I want. I guess Batman. Bat... All things Batman related. So. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that as much as I enjoyed Heath Ledger's performance, I loved his take on the Joker. Um, I like that he did something new, something that we haven't seen before. But I don't think it was the definitive Joker because that's something that kind of bugs me. With maybe it's me trying to be cool or being like you know, oh, I was with Batman you know back in the day, so I can say this. But like people who act like his version is the end all be all of performances, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I definitely get what you mean. I think that each version, I think. The potentially the m- most faithful version would probably be Mark Hamill's version. Well, definitely so, Mark Hamill because he's gotten to do so much with the character, yeah. and that's and, you know that plays the wild card aspect of the Joker. But I do think that each Joker, you know, like him, Jack Nicholson, Cesar Romero, Heath Ledger, they all represent different versions of the Joker. That's the thing because like he's he go he's very I, I guess it's supposed to be in the character's nature sometimes. But the way he's written, sometimes he's like Cesar Romero, you know, the laughing fool who maybe isn't really that much of a threat. Yeah, he, he more like pulls off pranks and stuff. Like he's, yeah, he's more of like just kind of getting a laugh out of something. And sometimes he's written like the Heath Ledger, um, Jack Nixon, who's the psychotic uh, mass murderer. Yeah. And sometimes he falls in between, whereas... That's where I kind of felt like that's where Hamill's Joker really was. He was, you know, he wasn't above, you know, doing pranks and stuff. Um, he didn't have that much of a dark side because, you know, it was TV. You, I mean, you yeah. can only do so much. But I think he had that edge to him, that, you know, that sinister edge. Yeah, there was, like, actually yesterday I watched The Mask of the Phantasm. And it's, it's funny. It's like his introduction in the movie is machine gun fire that, basically tears up a bunch of robots and then he comes out you know just smiling and laughing and making jokes and you know basically whimsical in the face of something incredibly dark like that's sort of that's that's something that's always kind of appealed to me about the character um i'm gonna use a pretentious word right here um but the juxtaposition of him as being this you know this manic uh clown who's telling jokes and upbeat and cheerful while he's doing these just horrendous, atrocious acts. Just very fascinating. Yeah, that I and, mean that's what makes the Joker such a yeah and I good think villain. It's, I think it's a good counter to Batman, who's a stern, serious person. You know, out on this war, uh, in in a costume with a cape. You know, he's, he's serious but looks ridiculous, and the Joker looks ridiculous. But and acts ridiculous, but is a homicidal mania. I think they're a good fit for each other. Yeah, I mean they. In are addition pretty... to their um, conflicting ideologies. Yeah, right now there's there's definitely there's a definitely like a uh, bane fever as far as the Dark Knight Rises is concerned. Like you see everyone pretty much fapping over Bane. Yeah. But you know the Joker will always be the definitive Batman villain yeah. to me because it is such a yin and yang thing. It's such yeah. like a psychological relationship too. It's like you can have the Joker hate Batman and then love him at the same time. You can have Batman want to kill the Joker, but at the same time want to rise above at it so that he can see the Joker eventually cured of his madness. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what sets him 
a league above the other Batman villains, which, you know, there are some really good Batman villains, but... No, um, who would you say, uh, after Joker would be your favorite? Hmm. I think, I think I know who my favorite would be, but I think, I don't, I don't, I don't want to presume to guess for you, but, um, I'll let you decide. It's, it's kind of a tricky subject, like, for a long time it was Two-Faced, because I always loved the story of Harvey Dent, but I think as far as a recurring villain goes, Ra's al Ghul has always had this sort of epic thing about him where every time he's featured in a story, it almost always takes place in international shores and really tests yeah. Batman's limits. And um, at the same time, it's like Ra's also is like a villain that, you know, his his motivations really aren't that really aren't that evil. Like, he's more... He realizes the Earth is in terrible shape and he just wants to you know, make it better. But he just goes about it in the wrong way. You didn't see, I think it was when uh, Arkham Arkham uh, City came out, they were debating on how his name was pronounced. Because in Arkham City, they pronounced it Raish, and like in the Bat- Batman Begins, they pronounced it Rise. Yeah. And, um, like, you know, there was debate on if it's Rise or Raish, and I think Paul Dini came out and said, hey, Denny O'Neill told me it's Raish. And Denny O'Neill created the character, so... I would say, however he says it's pronounced, is how it should work. Exactly. That's always that's always what I use the basis of because you, I've seen Denny O'Neill in interviews and he always says it as race, which is means head of the yeah. demon. Yeah. But I see what you're saying because one of the things I kind of like about him uh, as a character is that while him and Batman are always at odds, it wouldn't take much. For, I mean, he's like this close to being his father-in-law. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is very much a father He's... figure to Bruce because I yeah. think there is like a begrudging respect there, even though Batman is strongly against everything he wants to do. Like he yeah. he fully acknowledges that what Raish is doing is always endangering the world, is always mass genocidal. Yeah. So yeah, for that reason, I think he's one of my favorite Batman villains, probably under the Joker. I mean, Two Face definitely is. Up there, it's just race out. Just edges him out as far as usability. Like, I can't see Two Face working in as many stories as Race does. Yeah, I can see that because there's only so many times you can waste uh, the Gotham Underworld or try to rob a bank. Yeah. Well, um, what about you though? I would say I was going to say Two Face because not so much for the stories, but uh, his story singular. Uh, just the tragedy of you know Harvey Dent, the uh, the you know the uh, what they they call him, Apollo, and you know the guy who he uh, tried to change Gotham City, and you know the city <laughs> changed him, and um, just sort of all his uh, his uh, pathos and stuff, and his ideals. his uh, his uh, yeah his philosophies and his um, his reliance on fate as a uh, as a way to do stuff, you know, it's very, uh, very compelling stuff, I think, um, and he's one of the older villains, um, I'm, you know, him and the Joker, two of the older villains, probably two of the oldest villains in canon, you know, because for, for a long while, Batman fought nothing but mad scientists, but, um, yeah, and, and a vampire, and shifty-eyed Japs, <laughs> exactly, yeah, just, I also like the backstory, especially, they gave, give him you know, in the uh, Jeff Loeb, Long Halloween, Dark Victory, and then even in the Dark Knight, just 
seeing him and just seeing like what a tragic character he is because Batman is a character who's steeped in tragedy and it's just very interesting especially the concept of he's another concept of uh, how all Batman's villains mirror him in some way I think Two-Face actually directly more directly references that than any other villain because you know he is someone who was spurned on by a tragic past to do good with his time and wage war against criminals and instead of you know instead of really using his pursuit of justice for good use he decided well I'm going to go in a different direction and murder all of the criminals in Gotham City that I can or you know pursue his own beliefs or or his own goals like robbing banks like you said and uh, you know deciding everything by the flip of a coin so it's really sort of if Batman was just a little bit less sane, he would probably be Harvey Dent. Yeah, I see that. Especially um, how, like you said, he's sort of like Batman's concept of justice taking the absolute extreme. Yeah, definitely. If Batman didn't have a high morale, like a higher moral code. Well, yeah, if he was willing to um, get down and dirty to do what needed to be done, I guess. Okay, that actually brings up an interesting question that is constantly debated between Batman fans. Who would win a fight between Batman and Superman? No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Batman and Goku. Batman uh, and Goku. Batman and God. Batman, duh. Batman could be... Oh, with the time. Um, but no, actually, the idea that is what Batman is doing selfish is the fact that he never kills criminals almost like almost like a cop-out, or is it... Do you feel like it makes him that much more of a hero? Like, what's what's your take on that? Uh, that's something that I've thought about before. Um, I think he works his ideals, his the way he he refuses to kill. I think that works fine in the comics universe and the universe presented in the films and stuff. Because you know he's a hero. You have if he's out killing people, he's not setting a good example. I think. No. As a role model, showing you that you know it's not you know violence isn't. I mean, or maybe I shouldn't say violence is because you know he won't kill the guy, but he'll break his spine in three different places. Mm-hmm. But um, I do think that I'm trying to figure out you know well, yeah. trying to word this, but um, I do think that it works in the stories presented because yeah, sure. I mean, the Joker. The reason the Joker always escapes. He's always killing again and again and again because that's what a recurring you know cast is for. Yeah, I mean if I mean if, if, Bat- he, if Batman took the sensical approach and just pretty much just threw Joker off a building, no more Joker. Like no more Joker and like sure they could resurrect him, but it's like yeah, then why do it in to, the first place? Yeah, they have to kill him every time. But you know, or like Joker goes to Arkham. Arkham has good security, so he's never seen again. Yeah, I mean, what fun would it really be? Yeah, but I do think that it does bring up a good um, dilemma for him. This hero who won't kill, who is confronted with death all the time. I think the way I look at it is he's not so much... He doesn't kill because he's afraid to. I think he doesn't kill because he's afraid he won't stop. Yeah, that is... That's, I mean, it's one thing, like, you know, you say you can draw the line, but you kill Joker, then you kill Two-Face. You kill Riddler, then you kill all of them, and then sooner or later you're killing people who... Did they, do they deserve death? I mean, you know... Yeah, definitely. That's what that's that's the way I've always equated it with. The, you know, he loses control. The only thing that's keeping him sane uh, is 
his policies, his you know, he had like like he said, like they use in the movie, the one rule he has. That's what separates him from the people he fights. Because if he doesn't, he's no better than them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I pretty much agree with everything you're saying. It's like for so long, you know, people have brought it up. Like, you know, what if Batman was a killer? You know, what if he was a guy who went out and you know was like the Punisher, and that he would go and seek out criminals just to execute. And the thing is, is that that isn't Batman's mission. Like, that isn't what he's out to do. He's out to protect innocent people from these guys. He's not... He, his, his, his motive is not revenge. No. It's justice. It's justice. And the fact of the matter is, even though he is a vigilante, even though he is a guy who operates outside the law and can't ever logically be placed within the system... I think there is some part of him that respects the system enough not to enforce it to such a degree that he would execute. Like, I think, I mean, that's that's probably a big part of the reason why Jim Gordon exists. Yeah, I think that he recognizes that the system is broken. Broken, but it's not worthless, it's not useless. It's broken, but it can be fixed. Yeah, I think that's where the Punisher and Batman greatly differ, because... Frank Castle is someone who does not believe in the system whatsoever. Yeah, like he, he, thinks, he thinks he thinks in extreme situations the system is inadequate. That's actually yeah. one of the quotes. That's the quote. Yeah. So for Batman, you know, he's much more idealistic about it. Even though he does, he is very much a loner with sort of a cynical view of things. Like I think at the same time there is an idealistic side of the character that I've always yeah enjoyed. in that in that regard, especially like. Uh... Basically, they kind of show that some in The Dark Knight, where it almost feels kind of delusional, maybe in a way, to me anyway, that he's convinced that Gotham can be saved, that there will come a day that Batman will no longer be needed. And just it seems like, you know, The Dark Knight seems to hammer the point in that, you know, as long as Batman is out there, there will always be a need for him because, you know, just like with the Joker, someone like that stepping up. There's an to, ob- Yeah, there's there's almost a negative aspect to his presence in Gotham. Yeah, and that's something that I was going to ask you about, too, is how do you feel about that? That's, that's always been the debate, like, you know, do these do like people like Joker, Two-Face, um, do they exist because of Batman or do they exist in spite of him? I think that well, it's, it's tricky because it's like... We haven't really gotten a definitive portrayal of something like that. Like, you know, Joker, in the comics, you know, he was, like, in the real world, he was created to fight Batman. He That's the only reason that the character exists. But yeah. in the frame of Gotham City, in the frame of the fictional world, I think the killing joke is the best example of showing, you know, all it takes is one bad day to reduce the sanest man into lunacy. And Batman didn't necessarily have to happen for that one bad day to occur. Like, yes, he was there, and he was a direct part of that one bad day, if what you believe is true about the Red Hood and all of that. But I think something else would have made him snap eventually. Like, yeah, I think Batman only exists as a good thing, as someone who can lessen the sort of the fatalities that the people like the Joker cause. And I would maybe it's another case of them with the conflicting ideologies, but I would counter with saying that you know the whole thing about all it takes is one bad day, but you look and Batman has one very bad day himself. 
Yeah. When he was a child, and he was able to do something. Now, it turned him a little crazy, of course. Well, yeah. But he wasn't out-and-out psycho, but he was able to take his pain, his you know, his rage, whatever, and make it uh, a semi-positive outlet, I think. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Like, he... I would say that's what the appeal of the character is. Like, you always have people who are going to make the claim that his villains are more interesting than he is. Well, the thing is that his villains chose the easy way out. His villains chose to take what happened to them, their tragedies, their individual wants and needs and their motivations, and turn it into something negative, like sort of a lash out against society, like giving into their own inhibitions and turning themselves into psychotics and supervillains. Whereas Batman... He could have easily done that. You know, Bruce Wayne had every reason to pick up a gun and start killing off people. But instead, he made a vow. He kept that vow. He trained himself pretty much from the time he was a kid up until, you know, a full-fledged adult to be capable of being better than that. You know, that's the strength of the character is that he has a willpower that makes him so much more stronger, I would say, than the other people. Um, And uh, maybe paraphrase a quote from Batman Begins, but they took whatever happened to him, they let that negative aspect define them, whereas Bruce was able to rise above it, and he let his actions as Batman define him. We're getting really deep, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. There's one question I want to ask you. Something we brought up um, when we did... uh, the favorite character things. Um, something we touched on. What do you think of the argument that uh, people say that Bruce Wayne is the mask, Batman is the true person underneath, and okay. vice versa? Okay, well, here's the thing. I used to subscribe to that idea that Bruce Wayne isn't the real person, mm-hmm. that he's always going to be Batman inside, like mm-hmm. that's who he is. But as I've grown and as I've you know, taking in more of the character and, you know, absorbed all the comics and the movies and, you know, everything that has defined the character. I think, I think it's less and less true, to be honest, because I think, I think everyone has a light and a dark side. And with Batman, that's much more prevalent, but he also has a middle ground. He has a third person, which I think is the real person, who is the idealistic side of him. I think Batman is the manifestation of his rage that he has from his parents' murder and his outrage towards criminals for why that happened and sort of the part of him that wants to scare the crap out of criminals wants to you know, put the fear and intimidation into Gotham City but I think Bruce Wayne Bruce Wayne like as the public persona is the fake is the fake part of his personality because that there's no true side of him in that one I think that one's just completely always an act and then there's the Bruce Wayne that nobody sees except Alfred and, you know, uh, all the sidekicks and even some of the Justice League. And occasionally, you know, you get glimpses of it when he's in the costume, too. Is that there's a side of him that is the true all and out hero. And Batman is more of his anger. I mean, does what I'm saying make sense? Yeah, I understand what you're saying because I kind of think the same thing applies with uh, the arguments that. 
you know, Superman is the real person and Clark Kent's the disguise. Yeah. You know, it's like they're very different aspects. Like one person is not just one thing 100% of the time. And, and see, with Superman, it's actually even more so the three personality argument, I think. Because yeah. while Clark Kent is a disguise when he's a mild-mannered reporter, there is a part of Superman that grew up on Smallville. And I don't think that applies to the Superman side of him. I don't think his powers really played into that, you know, farm boy western side that grew up with a strict morality and really kind of cemented him as sort of the hero that Superman eventually becomes. Like, I think that was the beginning of Superman, but I don't think that defines his Superman persona. And yeah. with Clark, and I, I would even argue that there is some sort of uh, personality of Clark's in Clark Kent, the reporter. So, um, but yeah, um, yeah, I agree. And but and also, the thing with both guys is that you can't be, like I said, you can't be one thing all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to be, I mean, <clears throat> that's not a good character. I think to be just one way at a time. You can't be a hundred percent turned on every day. You know, justice, 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 vengeance. You know, the night Batman, all that stuff. He can't. You can't be that. No person. I don't care what your willpower is. Uh, you know, you can be, you know, prep time, whatever. You do. There come times where you just, you just need to lay on the couch, watch TV, and eat ice cream. And I imagine Bruce more so than anyone needs days off every now and then. Yeah, I mean, for I, I wouldn't say that he needs days off necessarily because I feel like he's a character that always wants to be out there, but he, well, you he, know, he, he can bring, like he needs yeah, a he cooling off period. Yeah, I mean, he needs it certainly. Like, I would say, you know, the only reason he sleeps is because he needs that. Like, the only reason yeah. he spends time at home or conducts deals at Wayne Enterprises. Like, like there's certain moments in his life where it is important for him to be human. It is important for him to not be totally devoted to his cause. Like, actually, there was a recent issue of Batman and Robin where he's taking... A portrait of him and all the sons, and I think that, yeah, I think that was genuine. I don't think that was just part of you know his playboy side or anything. I don't think he did I, that just to just to throw suspicion off of himself or something. Yeah, I think he wanted to, you know, he had a bunch of robins around. You, you never know when a robin's going to die, so why not you know cement <laughs> the occasion? Yeah, while some, you got so many alive. Yeah, some sooner rather than others. Yeah. Um. That's, but yeah, now I've got the, the um, now I have the mental image stuck in my head of Batman wearing sweatpants, sitting on the couch watching The Bachelor, eating ice cream. <laughs> I have a I have a webcomic to show you later then. <laughs> okay, um, but that actually brings up another question: is that um, you know we've been talking about big issues within the Batman pantheon, you know, mm-hmm. constant debates that are always happening and. We're not saying we're definitively right or anything. This is just our take of this. But how well, do you... I'm definitively right all the time. Well, of course. I mean, you are the bogus Birdman. Yes. Emphasis on bogus. Oh, yeah. Bogus, yes. Screw you, man. <laughs> but um, my question to you is, Robin, do you feel like Robin is a strength or a liability to the character? Do you feel like... Robin, well, first of all, okay, this is kind of a two-part question. 
Do you feel like Robin is a strength or a liability, but do you also feel like it is an irresponsibility for Batman to put a kid out on the line? Like, what's what's your take on Robin as, like, a concept and a character? Well, first off, I look at it from a lit- um, a fictional standpoint because, like, the whole uh, killing or not killing, from a practical standpoint, I don't think the argument holds up, you know, necessarily. Yep. To have, a, you know, a 11-year-old out in short pants, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think as far as a, uh, you know, a fictional standpoint, I think Robin... Very important to Batman, I think, as as um, as as a crime fighter and as a human being, because it's Robin kind of gives him an anchor to you know the real world, or not the real world, but to remind him that there's more to this than just the job. You know, he's got someone who can remind him, hey, you know, it's not all about this, and and also I think it's important to him. To, as a person to kind of give someone guidance and an outlet that he didn't have when he was that age. Yeah. Because, you know, all the Robins, except for, like, Tim Drake, but, you know, they got rid of that. Um, all of them were orphans. All of them had, you know, experienced great tragedy at a young age, much like Bruce did. And so there was a chance, like, he ended up looking through his means and, you know, training and stuff, whereas someone else would never be that lucky and so it was a chance for him to make sure that you know these kids didn't end up like he did or not like he did but end up kind of like he did in a way give them a chance to um like seek justice you know it's it's but it's actually that's kind of a good point it's like not i don't think it's so much end up like he did it's more of end up like he could have been like yeah, like would you say that's a fair saying? Because you know, if Bruce didn't have what made him unique, he probably would have, like we said earlier, he probably would have ended up like Harvey Dent or something. Like, yeah, um, yeah, that's what I think. To end up maybe even better than him, like especially like some of the Robins, like um, Dick, especially he, 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 he loves the job and stuff, but he's nowhere near as obsessive about it. Yeah. Than Bruce, and I think that's sort of what he was aiming for when he first started. I'm someone who could do the job, do it well, you know, and maybe not necessarily be like him, but be better than him. And I do think that it's, I'm getting ready for some backlash here, but I do think as like a crime fighter and a superhero, I do think Nightwing is maybe better, well rounded. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's better off. Like I think, I think his time as Batman. Like Dick's uh, brief time as Batman actually proved that he can be just as effective as Bruce Wayne can without everything that weighs Bruce down. Exactly. He can be Batman without brooding, without being obsessive. Yeah. Where, I mean, that isn't to say that Bruce is any less of a character because of it. I think it's just like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, exactly. And, but. I, you mentioned Robin being a liability. I think he can be a liability when, as a character, his character like Jason Todd was a liability because of how his character was. Yeah. He wasn't trained. Well, maybe he wasn't trained properly, but he was. He wasn't maybe mature enough, or he wasn't. He wasn't grounded. Like he. Yeah. He was more of like he was a walking time bomb almost. Yeah, exactly. Something like if it wasn't the Joker, something would have got him. 
eventually. But um, and like Tim Drake, of course, was you know he's not a liability. He was an asset because he was similar to Dick in a lot of ways, but better in a lot of ways. Um, and the current Robin Damien, uh, the verdict still out on him as being a liability. <laughs> well, um, I mean, even though Damien isn't necessarily a good, you know have a good personality, like a positive personality or anything. I think whereas Jason let it get in the way of the job, I think Damien has skill enough to make up for that. Like, he is trained to be like... Yeah. He almost he can probably almost kick the crap out of the other Robins easily. Just because uh, well, he's so rigorously trained. Yeah. And I think if you're keeping up with the comics, that's kind of much what's about to happen. In, yeah, that's kind of what he's doing. Months. Um, yeah, but um, but yeah, like, and also another, we forgot about uh, Stephanie Brown, Robin. Mm-hmm. Well, the one chick. I mean, Stephanie was so brief. Like, I know I was just messing with you because that's what a lot of people talked about um, in that Batman and Robin. We talk. He takes a portrait with all the Robins. Stephanie Brown is mysteriously missing. <laughs> you know, I was Robin. Shut up, bitch. <laughs> They they just they just make her stand outside. You go outside with Ace. <laughs> you sleep in the bat house. <laughs> but yeah, I mean Stephanie Stephanie I think proved sort of what a real kid would be like if they were put into that position because she was and, very much a just a teenage girl. Yeah, and unfortunately the way she met her end was not very kid friendly. No, but that was eventually right con thankfully. So. Yeah. I mean, for better or worse, you know, we eventually got to see her as Batgirl, and she was decent at that, so. Yeah, I thought so. So, yeah. I mean, I, I guess my thought on Robin is just, you know, Bruce needs to be it. I think Bruce needs to mature in some way beyond his sort of almost childish thought of, there can only be the, the mission. There can only be yeah, the mission. Yeah, and I, I do think it's kind of fitting that, you know, he he perpetually stuck as a young boy. It takes a young boy to shift him, his mindset, to that of, you know, being the crime fighter to more of a mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, and also, there's there's also the sort of argument of you know is Bruce a good father I think I think Bruce tries to the best of his ability to be one like I don't, yeah, I, don't I, mean, think it, I don't think it always works out like Jason for instance but I think you know he has the best of intentions he he doesn't mistreat them he doesn't I, think I mean if you can if you compare him to some other comic book fathers I think he's doing loads better you know, <laughs> green arrow kicking out heroin addict yeah uh, Slade Wilson. Yeah, using his son as, a, you know, what, cannon fodder. Yeah, you know, his daughter is a psycho. Yeah, uh, and um, all kinds of stuff. But yeah, I mean, fathers in comic books, they're not necessarily winning father of the year, but, you know. Yeah, there's, there's, I think Bruce definitely goes out of his way to make sure the Robins are as safe as possible. And, yeah, and even I though think, he even though he failed once, you know, that's the only time he's failed out of four so far, so So far yeah, he's batting what, seven fifty. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. You know. He's doing the best we can. So 
I guess that's our take on Robin. Um, now, I guess there's one more issue that we might need to tackle, and then we can probably wrap this up, if that's all right with you. Yeah, it's fine. Um, there is one other big question, and it's not Batman versus Superman, because, let's face it, Superman would probably incinerate him if he could. Um, yeah, I think if Superman didn't hold back, you know. Yeah. He would it's rip. Like, it's like if Batman didn't hold back, it's like, that would kind of that would kind of just make him a jerk. Yeah. Like, what could he really do against Superman? Like, unless he kryptonite, and then there's always going to be a way out of that. So he he uses uh, kryptonite and toilet paper to TP his house, though the fortress of solitude. <laughs> it hurts, it hurts Superman every time he wipes. Not cool, dude. Oh, oh, and I just had the runs too. <laughs> the super runs. That's why he invited Superman over to the Batcave. Mexican. <laughs> it was all part of his plan. Yeah. It's like, this oddly tastes like laxative. It's like, don't worry yes. about it. Yes. Don't worry about it. Um, but no, that's not the issue I was talking about. The issue I was talking about was, um, and you might laugh, but it's the elephant in the room. Batman and Robin, their relationship. What, uh-huh. what do you, what do you think is the basis for why people think why some people think that they're gay hmm and and here's here's another question Mm -hmm. do you think that would necessarily hurt the character if he was well to answer your first question why people think there's a gay relationship I will show you this picture and that pretty much lets you with your own assumptions uh, what is this? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. That's yeah. That's that's pretty good evidence, I have to say. Yeah. Um. Uh, but okay, Joel Schumacher aside, what do you think the basis is? I just think the basis of it come from um, that that study. You remember the? Well, of course, you don't remember. I don't remember either. It was thirty years before I was born. But um, the study by the. Yeah, uh, the psychologist. Yeah, who Man. who was pretty much you know he was making issues out of nothing. Yeah, he was starting controversy, just start controversy, and his thing was that um, Batman and Robin promoted homosexual lifestyle. Yeah, and honestly, you know, I think if you look too hard into it, these books were made for kids. Yeah. You know, and that's what Robin is. He is a way for the, for, the audience for the kids. to. Yeah, yeah for He's the a, Almost like their avatar. Yeah, it's for them to project themselves in to, you know, fighting with Batman across Gotham City. Um, but, um. I think. I think, like, there's some stuff, like, you see, like, there's been pictures of, like, panels of, like, Bruce and Dick sleeping in the same bed together. And, you know, stuff that. Yeah, obviously he's running around in short pants. Yeah. Well, um, which in itself is like, that's a product of the 1930s, and the fact that Dick Grayson was an acrobat, and that's what they wore at the time. That's, I mean, there's a reason they eventually ditched that design in the costume. It's like, yeah. it's just from a time period. It's not it's not evocative of... And I would say that the relationship like that, you know, the stuff that they showed back in the 40s and 50s that people use as evidence... Now, it's no longer applicable. 
I don't think you know? anyone in DC Comics or or whatever they were back then. I think they were still DC. Um, I don't think anyone ever intentionally went in. I don't think anyone ever intentionally put it in there as a nod to the idea that Batman and Robin are gay. Like I don't think that was ever. I don't think that ever crossed their mind until the Frederick Wortham thing. I think that was just like, huh? We well, never thought about it like that. Yeah. It's like, oh wow. Yeah, that, I guess that can kind of be seen like that, and they promptly, you know, put Batwoman in there. And Catwoman shows up. Well, yeah. I mean, Catwoman was always there, but oh, they kind of sexualized her some more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, with Catwoman, it was always more of a thing like. She's in love with him, but he can't be in love with her because she's a criminal. And to some degree, yeah. that's always stuck. But yeah, I guess it's a—it's just more of like it's just basically starting to start trying to start something that just for the sake of starting it. Um, yeah, I don't think that you know necessarily the Batman and Robin thing was inherently sexual. It wasn't planned to be that way. I think. I think sometimes. Batman. I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but I think he works like Wonder Woman kind of as an asexual character. You know, I mean, he had girlfriends and stuff. I think that's part of, especially as it got on, as the series got on, it started skewing more towards mature people, mm-hmm. uh, mature readers. That you, there was more him having girlfriends and stuff. And, you know, of course, he has to live up to the reputation of being, you know, the billionaire playboy. But, um, I do think that, you know, like I said, I don't know what your take on is if you agree with me that I think he should be inherently asexual. Uh, maybe that kind of dulls him a little bit. Well, I think with me, it's like, it's not necessarily that he's asexual. I think he does, I think he is straight. I think he does have those attractions to, you know, people like Talia and, and Selena Kyle. I think he definitely has them. It's just that his mentality is always more with what he's doing and the fact that if he ever took on a serious relationship like that like yeah. he would always he would always have someone that would have to worry about him coming home at the end of the night well he does doesn't he with Alfred well yeah but it's like Alfred was there he was kind of almost an unprecedented liability like I'm sure Bruce regrets the fact that he's a burden on Alfred but at the same time, Alfred's strong enough to soldier on. Um, but as far as his sexuality is concerned, I think he has them. He has those desires, and you can occasionally have him, you know, meaningfully kiss Selena or Talia and have it mean something. But it's just that he is so devoted to his cause that stuff like that comes way secondary, like way down the line. Um, the job comes first. Yeah, always you- the job. If he wasn't Batman, he would probably pursue something like that, but because he is, it's just, there's no room for it. Yeah. So, and I think, I mean, I think we touched upon pretty much a lot of big issues. Yeah, I think we got into the character itself and what we like about it and delve further into the media, the different forms of media that um, Batman appeared in. Yeah, because, you know, Batman is a character that can be He's a versatile character, you know? He's a flexible character, you know? All you have to do is mention his motivations or mention how dedicated he is to crime fighting, and you really can interpret him in a number of ways. Like, he can be a detective, 
that has, you know, moments of levity. He can be a dark, serious Grim Avenger. He can be, you know, I will even argue that there are some else worlds that can get away with having him kill and stuff like that, as long as it's not in the mainstream continuity. Yeah. Um, that does... Well, there's one question I want to ask you before maybe we wrap up. Which version of Batman is your favorite? Do you like the Grim, Dark Avenger, or do you like the the campy, you know, Adam West education, um, moral spouting guy, or do you find that your favorite lies somewhere in the middle? I would say the best version ever done of Batman's character is Batman the Animated Series, which took both which took aspects of both you know he was yeah. dark and serious but at the same time he wasn't afraid to crack a smile up now and then yeah. he wasn't afraid to be to act like a person you know he wasn't afraid of being human and he it's kind of like that thing we mentioned with Dick Grayson is that Bruce Wayne is a real person in that show and Batman is just more of you know that's what he has to do and that's what he will do and that's the kind of person he will become for the sake of his job, but, you know, he's not afraid to dial it back and then, you know, be himself as Bruce Wayne, and that's... I always like that as a character, because it shows that he doesn't have to be a dick to be heroic. Yeah, I, I, I'll agree with you there, especially, like, there are a few times he cracks some jokes and stuff. I always, like, I enjoyed their, his back and forth with Alfred in the Batcave. I think maybe no one took some of that into the his films and I think yeah, that that was that's always been a good highlight of some of his films for me is the repartee with Alfred but um yeah that, that is like one of my favorite scenes in that in the dark night is um actually when he and Alfred are you know they've just closed up shop they're not gonna be you know Bruce is giving up Batman he's gonna turn himself yeah. in and then he turns back to the elevator and and um Alfred says well I did bloody tell you and he says and he says, I, I suppose they're going to lock me up for being your accomplice. And Bruce says, accomplice? I'm going to tell them the whole thing was your idea. Yeah, that, <laughs> like, was, a, that was very little. Nice little snappy moment between them. Yeah, I don't think Batman should be a humorless character. I don't, nah. think, I don't think he should be that. I don't think he should be a humorous character. I just don't think he should be humorous. If that well, I say sense. the humor comes from him being a serious guy in this silly situation. All right, well, on that note, I think it's time that we wrap up this first installment of that month. I was drinking something. when You, you put me on the spot, man. That's what I do. Um, I'm, the, I'm the bat dickery. Please, no, don't sell all your podcasting equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Until the next installment of Bat Month, farewell, boy wonder. Farewell, Cape Crusader.
Did you think you were rid of us? One can only hope, I guess. We're like a bad case of herpes. Yeah, exactly. We always come back stronger, and we sting a little bit more every time. And we're always on your face for some reason. Yeah, it's weird, but no, we're actually doing uh, an old bit of ours that we had retired a little bit ago. We, we retired it in, in its prime. We did this like the first episode, and we never visited it again. Yeah, exactly, and it felt like for Bat Month especially, it needed to come back. So here is a scene from Batman Returns in Bird and MB's acting theater. Admiring your handiwork. Touring the riot scene. Gravely assessing the devastation. Upstanding mayor stuff. You're not the mayor. Things change. What do you want? Ah, the direct approach. I admire that in a man with a mask. You don't really think you'll win, do you? Things change. Meow. <sighs> <sighs> 